my message is that there is a sweet spot for being effective for the planet and that people have not been told what it is. <laughs> the missing piece is this form a team. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back today with episode number 40, and our special guest is Joan Gregerson. Today's program is called Teams Are the Sweet Spot for Sustainable Environmental Leadership and Change. And Joan's a fascinating woman. Uh, she's an eco-activist. She's been that her whole career. She's a known community organizer, and she's absolutely a leader in the environmental transformation movement. She's the author of the recently published book, Climate Action Challenge. She's the founder of the Green Team Academy, which is right now in the midst of a mission to partner with 1,000 eco-initiatives over the next 90 days, September, October, November of this year. Joan is a proven expert in building partnerships and teams after learning for herself that doing it herself really didn't serve her or her mission. Joan is a self-proclaimed eco-nut with a heart for the environment and a calling to make a difference. And she's going to be sharing ideas today about how we can lead and have an impact in the environmental arena, as well as the vital role of putting together teams no matter what your objective. Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. I'm excited to have a good friend, Joan Gregerson, who is a community leader, a, an eco-activist. She is somebody who helps people get their teams going so that they can have an impact in the world around them. So Joan, great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. So yeah. nice to be hanging out with you, both of you guys. Yeah. And so everybody, we, all your, your whole kind of leadership, uh, ecosystem that you have going. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I think one of the neat things that I've gotten to know Joan from working together, but one of the things that I've, I've really appreciated about her is the breadth of her network and the types of people that she has been able to cultivate, or should I say acquire in her network. And so she's really a collector of interesting people as one of those things. And then the other side is she is really good at helping people build their teams to accomplish a mission. And so Joan, can you please tell us a little bit about how you got to doing this and maybe a little bit about your story? I would love to. Um, yeah, so thanks so much. Uh, it's really just an honor to be hanging out with you and to, to be talking about all this stuff. So. My, um, it, let's see, I'll just kind of set the, the point where we are right now and then flip back a little bit to what okay. happened. So just on July 31st, I just released a, a book called Climate Action Challenge, a proven plan for launching your eco initiative in 90 days. Congratulations. Thank you. It's pretty exciting. And I'm running a big international climate action challenge to basically demonstrate the principles in that book. Awesome. With and our goal is to get a thousand people to to do it in ninety days and to get a hundred. We've got people signing up to be mentors and ambassadors. We've got ninety eight people that have applied so far from eighteen countries to help wow. these thousand people. So when you're saying as far as uh, a collector connector, yeah, <laughs> it's it's been incredible. So so this is a really exciting place to be especially based on, so my story is that, uh, you know, I grew up a big family, big Catholic family, and my, my parents' ethic was very strong as far as taking care of the community. And, mm. you know, my mom would work in the soup kitchen and my mm. dad 
tutored for people to get their GED, their high school equivalent, for 17 years, once a week, you know, so had this very strong ethic, but didn't have the environmental ethic mm. wasn't part of it. And, and so, you know, as I started seeing things, so, um, you know, the first big Earth Day was 1970. I was 10 years old, so I wasn't really part of it, but it seemed like things were going the right direction <laughs> uh, because actually in Nick, Nixon was in, um, was responsible for starting the, it was his administration that started the EPA, hmm. Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. And I was like, wow, this is good. I had written my first poem when I was 10 years old that got published <laughs> about pollution. Really? So, yeah. Interesting. You guys have been to Denver, both. Yes. I'm in Denver, Colorado. And, you know, people think of Denver as the mountains and clean air, but we actually have a lot of pollution here. Hmm. And the brown cloud was the name <sighs> of my, my poem. Uh, <laughs> but I thought, okay, well, the adults, you know, obviously the adults are going to take care of the environment. <laughs> <laughs> like, obviously, right? Like, that would be the number one thing. And, and be, that's because you trusted them. Yeah, right. Because my parents <laughs> were really, you know, like that, very, I had a, a good, I, what I thought was a good upbringing, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I didn't, so then in 1978, I went to, I graduated from high school, went to University of Colorado. Jimmy Carter was in the, in the, presidency and he was putting solar panels on the white house and, <laughs> you know talking about the ethic of of conservation and thriftiness and you know being careful with our resources i'm like yeah this we got this but <laughs> when i went to school when i went to the university of colorado and said i want to study solar they said we don't have that like that oh. that should have been my <laughs> my first clue of like, right. wait, what is going on? Um, so they said, well, you should just go into engineering and you'll be able to kind of do it somehow that way. And so I did. I went into engineering and then okay. started working in energy efficiency. And, and one of the first projects that we got, so I graduated in 1982. A lot of my colleagues went into the defense industry. And I was like, but wait, don't we need to, don't we need to take care of the planet? Like, wouldn't right. that be something? Cause engineers like we fix things. So um, was there a, was there a particular thing that made you say, wow, you know, there is a problem that we need to solve or was it more of a gradual awakening to just people weren't doing stuff? Yeah, I think it was, you know, just hearing different things about chemicals that were poisonous it was around that time i think i heard that um that pesticides were found in breast milk mm. and i just thought are you freaking kidding me <laughs> welcome to the world here's pesticides mm. in your first drink wow and this yeah so yeah so there's a lot of pieces in there mm. Wow. So that kind of fast forward a little bit and tell us a little bit about some of the, maybe the different actions that you've taken, some of the different teams that you've led, some of the things yeah. that you've had some fun with. Yeah. Um, so, so going along with that story, so that the, um, you know, being in engineering and so as I was saying, a lot of my colleagues went into defense. I was, I felt very lucky. I went into um, a controls company where we were, hmm. you know, doing things to, to reduce the amount of energy efficiency. Mm -hmm. But I don't know, it was, it was the same thing. It's like, a lot of these controls are not actually working. Like, we're the controls <laughs> company. One of our guys, when we were there, we built a new building and the director of engineering put a little fan in his office on his shelf. And I'm like, does this... <laughs> doesn't this seem like a problem you guys like we just designed a whole building and it's still not quite working and so like it was like wait a second i don't know what's going on with the adults here like there's 
we're not really doing the thing, you know? And, and so then I got a job uh, working in an, a company where it was all about as architectural energy corporation. And so it was all about um, energy efficient design, but yet again, guess what? One of our first uh, contracts was, was the air force. Mm. And it's like, Okay, when you look at the U.S. budget and see how much is going to defense, and it's more than the top, what, next 10 countries put together, mm. we're making the Air Force more efficient, but, like, is that really the, the thing? So I just kept seeing, like, the, that we were just missing the mark of, of this taking care of the planet and saying we were going to... I worked on developing the first home energy rating systems for mm. the state of Colorado. And, you know, and again, there's just all these little insidious, weird things that would float in, you know, that the people that bought a, a very big house that was energy efficient would get pretty decent score compared to a very small house. And it's like, wait, but it's... <laughs> That's a lot of different, that's a lot of resources that went into that bigger house and the impact mm. that it had, gotcha. the extraction that you had to do to, to find those, you know, the doorknobs and to the trees that came down to, to build that, like, you know, it just kept seeming like, oh, almost. So um, along the way, I, uh, I got a job offer in Longmont, Colorado. And um, this was this was right after this big, huge flood. Um, we had this 500-year, 1,000-year type of flood. So I was living in Denver at that time, got this job offer, and then it started raining, and we had this massive flooding event, where, just where I was getting ready to move to. It's <laughs> like, wait, you just got a job in Longmont? Wait, didn't it just get, aren't they flooded right now? It's like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that, that is clear with global warming and with climate change is that as the temperature goes up, as air temperature goes up, I mean, this is back to, you know, I don't know, Science 101, you've got fourth graders that go testify. There's some really cute videos of fourth graders, fifth graders testifying to Congress to explain this, but it's like the temperature goes up, you get more evaporation, you know, warmer oceans, warmer airs, more evaporation, so that when, when the, wa the weather changes, you have more moisture. So that's why you have, you know, more blizzards, more, more tornadoes, more extreme everything. We just had a hurricane come through here, or oh, yeah. tropical storm. So it's a beautiful day now. <laughs> right, right. I always love it after a storm. Yeah. So with, yeah. with what, so you've had this journey, it's taken you to different places of understand that you couldn't depend on other people to solve yes. the problem. Yeah. And so for you, you decided to take action, I guess. And so, what did that first look like? When did you first step out and say, you know what, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to step out and I'm going to lead where I am. Exactly. Yeah. So that was in Longmont because before okay. that I'd been in like in Niwot for like 17 years, I got a recycling, one recycling center in, in 17 years. Wow. That's, that's pretty slow, but you know, it's still there. <laughs> I bet <laughs> you would do there. some things differently now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's still there. I got an award, whatever, but yeah, it's like, wow, that was weird. Why did it take so long? So in, in Longmont, I tried to join a sustainability group because you know, wow, this climate change is happening right here, and I couldn't find one. Mm. And I reached out to the city, and at that time, they had been told, we didn't realize this, they'd been told by a previous city council, don't work on sustainability. Really? Yeah. Why? So, well, it was, it was kind of a, it was a different political climate <clears throat> at the time. They didn't want them to be bothering the you know extraction industries and <laughs> things like that they're just like just leave us alone we want to keep be the tax revenue coming and, yeah so um yeah so as far as like developing a sustainability plan we didn't know that there had been one on the sh mm. on in development and this city council had told them no we're just not going to go any further with it so and and had told the the staff 
don't work on sustainability. So when I was reaching out to the staff and they're saying, uh, you know, uh, I, don't, don't talk to me, don't send me emails with the word sustainability, my boss is watching. Wow. Oh, so, so based on that and not being able to get anybody to work with, I, I uh, started something called Sustainable Revolution Longmont. And my, wow. my thinking was, oh man, if you're not going to work with us, it's a revolution, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> and, uh, there you go, so, Jeff. She's a maverick. <laughs> uh. Yeah. So, so within, within two years, we changed the course of history in that city, but it wasn't through my engineering expertise. It was by forming a youth leadership council. We walked in parades. We walked in Halloween parades with the kids. We made, we, we, we walked in another parade where we were the only float that was bicycle powered. You know, we, we, we ran with, with composting carts when we were pushing them. And, and, and then we started going to city council meetings. And, and finally we were at, um, at one city council meeting and we had six speakers. Each one had a different, there's, they had a thing where you could speak for three minutes. And so these are things I'd never done before. So you're talking about like the leadership stuff yeah. is, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm just going to fix things. Right. <laughs> like, why would I go to city council? I don't know what's going on there. So we started going to city council meetings and going, Hey, we're with Longmont and we, you know, you work, we realized oh, the city works for us. <laughs> supposed to. Yeah. But if you don't tell them what you want, then you're, you know, it's like having a dog and then not training it and it runs all over and bites people. It's like, whose fault is that? It's <laughs> right. not really the dog's fault. It's your fault because you didn't, you didn't take care of that thing that is operating on your behalf. So, um, yeah. So, so one if day we want, we had, yeah, go ahead. So if we want the government to serve specific, specific needs that we have, we have to ask them to do that because they don't, they can't read our minds. Is that basically what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. And that it's a lack of, it's a lack of stewardship. So going mm. back to kind of the way I was raised, you know, that when you think people are basically good, you think they're going to basically make good decisions. And mm. then, you know, that's that. But, <laughs> but not everybody has the same priorities. Right. Even if they're good people. They can have different priorities. Exactly. And that is the key right there. Um, and so, you know, so this, this thing, just to kind of finish this thing with the Longmont story and then kind of get into some of that other is, so we did, um, we had these five speakers all lined up, each one talking about, okay, well, you know, for economic competitiveness, the cities around us are all going with sustainability. And this is what millennials want. How are we going to attract millennials and these, you know, uh, other companies if we don't have sustainability of value? Um, you know, one was on air quality, one was on water quality, like mm. just boom, boom, boom. So by our fifth speaker, they said, okay, we're like, wait, we have one more speaker. <laughs> um, so they said, yeah, okay, we'll pick up that sustainability plan. But it was like, wow, that was crazy. We just asked them. The, the other big thing that we did that was along this time that also kind of created the momentum was that we had a big Earth Day festival. And so there's this whole thing that led up to that. Basically, we didn't have any money. So we started this little group. We thought about a year ahead. So Earth Day is April 22nd. We came together about a year ahead in April 2014 and said, well, maybe we should do something for next year. So we tried to reserve something, but you know, you need a deposit, you need whatever, like a school cafeteria, they wouldn't hold it out for us because they weren't sure what, they're, what they would need. So we ended up finding that the Boulder County Fairgrounds, which is a place like 10 times bigger than what we wanted, would fit our requirements because we didn't have to pay the deposit until January or December. <laughs> So nice. we reserved the place 10 times bigger than we thought. And then we raised $20,000 in our first year through grant writing um, and sponsorships to, to make this big thing happen. And we had a thousand people 
show up on that day in this place where everybody was saying Longmont doesn't care about the environment. <laughs> nice, Joan. So we just, we crushed, we crushed the myth yeah. that Longmont doesn't care. And so we had the mayor, we had city council, we had 35 youth booths, um, and oh. we had 35 nonprofits all there telling each other how to do, you know, this is what I, what I know about bicycles. This is about, you know, local farm oh, wow. seed starting. We had bicycle powered music. We had eco hip hop group. <laughs> it was just, we had a, my favorite was a four-year-old that um, his mom called and said, my four-year-old wants to do a booth. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, well, he really cares about marine um, animals, marine mammals. Hmm. And so he came with stuffed animals of all the different marine, with, with ocean music. And he wow. just had them out. And then people would, he would just ask them, what's your favorite animal? And then he would tell them all about it. Wow. And how they were in danger. And it was just Lead like, where you are, man, I'll tell you. Yeah. Starting right. From, exactly. Starting oh, that's from, awesome. Yeah. So, so Joan, let me ask you a question about all this. What strikes me is almost everything. I mean, the outcome of the council meeting was you got to sustain it. They, they put the sustainability plan in place. That's significant. They're all significant. Too often today, I think a lot of people believe and are actually getting a message that says small actions don't matter. Mm. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll engage in a practice myself mm. and someone will say, well, go look at this article that doesn't really matter. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of the things you talked about were small actions. So can you speak to, I think what people need to hear about the importance of small actions and not necessarily that they're going to create a recycling center themselves. Mm, good point, Jeff. Well, this this is a very important point that you're bringing up. And so really, my my message is that there is a sweet spot for being effective for the planet and that people have not been told what it is. <laughs> and so... The, the kinds of things that people are told, so starting, I don't know, a couple decades ago, the few decades ago, books like 50 Things You Can Do to Save the Earth came out that were all small things. Um, you know, so you're, you're asked to do things like that. And then you're also asked, okay, sign a petition, you know, click here, that kind of the clicktivism. Um, and clicktivism, clicktivism, you know, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Or or go go to a rally. That's that's really the span of what most people are 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 told to do, um, you know, and vote. Mm -hmm. But but what the missing piece is this form a team, and so that's mm -hmm. why my I started this thing in 2018 called the Green Team Academy, and. So to your point, Jeff, what happens is that when people are told to do a small thing, it's, it's, it's got a lot of problems. It, for one thing, it's really hard to do. For example, there was just this July, the month of July is the Plastic Free July Challenge. It's like, okay, that sounds cool. Let me do that. Two of my sisters, I just spoke to one uh, a couple days ago, and my other sister uh, did it a couple years back, were like, I'm going to do the Plastic Free Challenge. You talk to them 10 days later, and they're like, I, I couldn't do it. I, I tried, <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and, I, and it was so hard, and we, we did everything we could, and yet I, I you know, it's just like this, this sense of failure of mm. trying to do those things alone. And so what I advocate is like, please stop telling people to just take an action. It's like your doctor telling you, go lose weight. <laughs> like who does that? Who just, oh, honey, the doctor just told me I'm gonna lose weight, so I'm gonna change everything. Like, <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. But if they do like enroll in a weight loss program that has, so my other, the other thing that I did was I got trained as a wellness coach mm. and that is, that's really informed 
everything I do with helping people with the environmental action because it's what, what wellness coaching does. I've worked for Noom as a coach. I worked diabetes prevention, tobacco quit line is that they, they talk about the process of change. And so there's pre-contemplation, which is like problem. There's no problem. (laughs) (laughs) And then contemplation, it's like, wait, there's chemicals in breast milk. Or it's like, wait, plastic doesn't degrade for a few hundred years? Hmm. Hmm. Should I really be getting this thing that I use for 12 seconds in plastic? Like that, that place of kind of confusion. And then the next place is planning of, well, maybe I don't need to be using all this. What could I do differently? And starting to figure it out. And then action where you're actually doing it. And then relapse. Relapse is the next phase. Then you screw up and then you come back and then eventually you get to maintenance. But that's how, so that's how somebody could do good go plastic free is they get together with a group and they say, all right, I'm cruising along. This is what's working for me. Oh, now this didn't work. How do I get this product without the plastic packaging? Exactly. What are you guys, what are you doing? You know, so doing then that adding in the coaching. And, mm-hmm. and also, you know, like the weekly meetings and setting small goals and, and all of that, that support and accountability. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, there's a big thing around hypocrisy that, okay, well, I can't talk about the environment because I don't even know the recycling <laughs> rules. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so all the shame and the guilt and all that stuff is very similar to addiction recovery. Hmm. Wow, interesting. I guess I could say that. So we're, I mean, we're definitely, we're addicted to habits that are destroying the planet. Hmm. Like, that's a problem. But, but we, you can't just tell people. So, so when you're saying, Jeff, as far as the small actions, like if, so something like, okay, let's, Let's uh, stop using pesticides in our yard and go, you know, to pollinator-friendly plants. You know, you, somebody gives you a brochure at a farmer's market and you go home and go, all right, we're going to change everything up here. Like, it's unrealistic to just tell somebody to do that by themselves. Hmm. And there's so many different things that happen. Oh, what do we do now in springtime? Or what do we do in, in fall? And now we've got all this, these weeds or this leaves and we don't know how to do it so i so agree with you i think i think the the term self-help is really wrong i think most people <laughs> don't realize how much they really need to depend on other people and it's a it's a vulnerability thing you know it's it's something where you have to say hey look i don't got this i need some help with this i i can't do this alone nor do I want to do it alone. You know, I would love to be part of a community that is trying to solve this particular problem or working on this particular outcome, you know, whether it's a personal outcome, whether it's a community outcome. So I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's why we created the Carter membership in the, way, in the same way, because we wanted community around leadership development rather than going to a class and hoping that you got it all in that, you know, two or three days. It's not going to happen. Yeah, that's, I mean, and so getting more into the behavioral science, like how mm-hmm. do people change? Right. And really understanding. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of things too, like research around if, if, there's, a, if there's a negative message, it, it keeps, it promotes inaction. So a great example would be don't run into the street or you're going to get hit by a car. <laughs> So, what so does you want to do? I want to run into the <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes. So you know you can you can promote inaction through negativity, mm. but if you want people to act, it has to be a positive message. Oh, so good! I like that. And so you can't scare people into taking care of the planet. It has to be this positive thing, and so. Mm. So I was, I was in Longmont and, you know, got that going. We, you know, through walking in parades, going to city council meetings, having this youth leadership council, um, letting the youth like, hey, where do you guys want to go talk? So they went, spoke to the school board, you know, 10-year-old talking to awesome. city council. 
you know, and those council hearts just melt when the 10 year olds, the the adults come up and they're like, "Mm," you know, like, what what is this going to be? But the 10 year olds are like, Oh, um, so yeah, we, we did all that stuff. And so then I moved back to Denver to my neighborhood where I had grown up was living there with my mom. And it's like, what the heck? You've been in this house 50 years, huge lawn. Denver is a high mountain desert. We ah. have no business having lawns. Interesting. It's not a lawn. So lawns need a ton of water. So, you know, we get 12 or so inches of rain a year. But we're acculturated to that. You know, everybody thinks, oh, having a lawn means prestige. Having a lawn means, you know, you have somebody, it's, it's a status thing. It's something. It's a a problem. And that's so. So I moved to Denver and it's like, wow, since 1970s, Denver water has been telling us reduce the amount of lawns. Use Denver Water uh, actually pioneered this term called Xeriscape. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, low water used. You can go Mm -hmm. to Botanic Gardens, see all the Xeriscape. They have tons of material. But people aren't doing it. And it's like, what the heck? And at the same time, the population of Colorado increased 25%. Over mm. the last 15 years. That'll put some demand on that water table. Yeah. And so they're, wow. you know, they've been talking about building new reservoirs and all this stuff that's like, how do you get water for all these people? And I don't see how Vegas works. I mean, yeah. if you look at, at the uh, Lake Mead, you can see the lines of how the water has diminished over time. And that is a pretty big lake. If you look beyond just where it is by the dam. If you look, you know, down the waves, I mean, if you're flying over it, it's, it's a pretty good sized lake. And yet the water volume is going down so much to support what's going on in Vegas. Now they do have some solar arrays out there now as well that are, that are adding in, but crazy. Yeah. I mean, so, so like a basic, a basic need like water, people can't be bothered for 50 years. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. So there's this disconnect. So the more, you know, the more affluent communities tend to be, the more they're disconnected from nature and that that we're 70% water. We need water. This is a top priority. And so, so I started again, kind of accidentally a green team there where I, I messaged someone and said, Hey, I want to be part of the green team. And they said, awesome, you should start it. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I just left Nyer Longmont after we just did that whole big thing. Yeah. And um, so we, I started Green Team there. And you know, they, they started doing things like water conservation workshops and tours of each other's gardens and bicycle workshops and, and working with the businesses to, to start composting and Getting, getting kind of working as an ambassador for the city program that helps businesses go green. And so what it sounds like to me is this is entrepreneurship. This is, this is creativity in action. And we're applying that to social action, to eco action, to other types of things. I would imagine that the principles of your book apply to Black Lives Matter as much as other, other forms of activism. Yes. And it's, it's the same, it's the same insensitivity to what is really going on that mm-hmm. is the root of the problem. Okay. And so when you start being sensitive to, mm-hmm. wow, how are we going to get this water? Or why is our population, so the average species population of mammals, amphibians, birds, and reptiles is 40% now what it was when I was 10 years old. 
Wow. With the world we're giving and somebody now, they have, you know, maybe four zebras where we had 10. So wow. do we ca- don't we care about that? Yeah. My, is, do my we son have is... time? Don't we have time to put that into our lives? And so, so one of the things hmm. I recommend is this thing called 2% for life. So we've been given a ride on this beautiful planet. <laughs> yes. In, with this tiny little covering that that allows us to breathe so two percent of your life would be three hours a week so do you Hmm. have three hours a week in exchange to take care of this this planet that you know how much time do you spend on your car like what what amount of investment have you put into your vehicles how much gas do you put in how much maintenance what's your Mm -hmm. monthly payment your insurance what about this vehicle? <laughs> that's a good point. This vehicle that's protecting us, you know, from all this stuff. And so, so that's, so, you know, when I started that green team and saw people start coming together and started working on this stuff, all of a sudden I'm like, in landscape architects and people that have volunteered at Botanic Gardens, and people that were passionate about doing alley cleanups all came together. We did an Earth Day event again. And, you know, so I started seeing, oh, there's certain things that work when mm. you start putting your teams together um, and, and start making a difference, even though, so it's kind of, so, so forming a team releases this pent up guilt that people have and their, their creativity, it gives them away. There's a great line I heard in a permaculture uh, class the other day, they said, there's no waste, only a lack of creativity. (laughs) Interesting. And so, you know, if you just see like, okay, I mean, because nature doesn't have waste, that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the, that's one of these, these primary principles is to learn how nature operates and to understand that humans are a very new, a very young species. You know, if you look at jellyfish and other species that have been around for millennia or, or I don't know, probably millions of years more than, than we have to understand they, they get it and we don't yet. Yeah, but we're so smart, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, Jim, yeah, we have thing? a right. We have a lot of capacity to uh, to do things, but but we're and we think that we know, we think that we know best, and and our our results are not not good. You know, yeah. we we don't have the the our fossil fuel emissions are not under control. The levels of pollution are not under control, like with a, the deforestation. I just heard that the number of fires burning in the Amazon hit an all-time high. Uh, so, you know, we don't, no, we're not, we don't get it. We're not, by us talking to each other, it, it's kind of like, I, I always think there's maybe like a little problem, the idea of having single age grades rather than multiple ages working together. You know, so we have all, if you have all eight-year-olds and they figure something out, eh, it's going to be eight-year-old mentality, right? Whereas if they had a a baby in there and a 10-year-old and a 50-year-old, they might come up with together using their strengths together. So we're like the, a bunch of eight-year-olds going, yeah, this makes sense. Let's do this. (laughs) We're not, we're not listening to the, our biological elders. So, Joan, I'm hearing something new in this that I hadn't thought about before. I, I think I know for myself and I think others, especially when it comes to um, the earth and eco, eco-activist issues, that we think about doing it in groups because it multiplies the effect because more than one person does it. Like you said, the person who says, I want to change how I do, I'm not going to use pesticides at home. Well, if 10 neighbors do it, Wow, that's a real impact because 10 versus one. But I'm hearing that that's a truth. But more importantly, when they do it together, they get the emotional support they need. They, they have each other's back. 
they can help each other overcome the obstacles. They can help each other when they have that day of, man, this is really hard. So you're really talking about an element about how do you really create sustainable change in anything is you got to do it together. Right. You can't do it alone because without on your own, there's too many obstacles to change is what I'm hearing. Exactly. If it would, if it was so easy, you would have done it. <laughs> no, if I could have lost weight by myself, I would have already done it. I already read the books. I already know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, right. But you know, in a very similar way, like all the pressures of around eating crappy food and all the advertising and the brainwashing that's basically gone into disconnecting us from just real food and our our own hunger mechanisms that's in a similar way that we're disconnected hmm. from from those from what nature is is telling us you know nature's so, I, I was just gonna say one quick thing is like we think that a return on investment like 10 percent return on investment would be amazing right but think of that way nature does it like you take an apple seed you oh you, yeah you get, you get an apple See, tree growing from a seed or a branch and like what's the return on that investment <laughs> right thousands it's, and thousands it's, right it's just roughly a bazillion you know it's like right. year after year produces yeah a tree could produce a thousand apples each with a few seeds and do that year after year and so there's nature has these this transformative wow. way, you know, to go from a seed to a tree that produces that. And we're, we're each seeds hmm. <laughs> and we can, we can transform our, our communities if we get in touch with the way that nature does it. That is so good. I think, you know, when we look at leadership and we, we think about how, you know, coming back to your seed, if, if we're taking that seed and we're now spreading that to other people, whether it's through just leading with love, whether it's taking care of the people around us, and as we take care of them, they take care of what else is going on. It's, it's the multiplication of our efforts. And it's interesting because you, you not only talk about it, but you do this. And, and I've seen this where you have teenagers in Africa that are planting trees where there are none. You have, you have people around the world that you're connected with that you're helping them create their own movements. Uh, can you talk about some of those stories? Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, some of these friends of mine in Africa that I have met, you know, that as I was saying before, it's the wealthier, wider communities that tend to create more of the pollution. Mm more consumeristic, more fossil fuel use, you know, mm -hmm. flying around the world, ordering stuff constantly and thinking like everything's fine because we have running water, we have, you know, all these other things. In a lot of places in the world, they don't have those, a lot of those basic things that we do. And I think that gives them a more realistic view that, okay, the government is not going to do this. <laughs> right. You know, we're, this is going to be up to us. So. Yeah, so there's a group of people, um, there's a couple of different stories. Uh, one is in, in Uganda, in Kampala, Uganda. There is a guy, um, Chris Marvin's uh, Tumusime, and he is going to forestry school. So college age kid started a thing called Trin Trinity Forestry Services. And he's got a group of eight people and they decided to go into the slum areas of Kampala and start teaching them, training people how to grow their own food. And the thing is, in the, in the area in Kampala, there's, there's really no, there's no land available. You think of a, a slum kind of congested area mm -hmm. where everybody's just kind of on top of each other. So they thought, why don't we teach them vertical gardening? Oh, wow. And, and then it's like, okay, well, what are we going to, what are the containers? And they, this is this idea of create of waste only 
happening when there's lack of creativity. There's a ton of plastic waste in the rivers. Hmm. So they are cleaning up, they're taking the plastic waste that's found, using that as their containers and training people how to grow their own food in the slums of Kampala. Now they're going to the next level where each person they train, they're asking them to form a team of 15 to train 15 more people. Wow. And so having this ripple effect. Wow. I love that you've, you've kind of taken us full circle. You've talked about getting, getting into something, realizing that you couldn't depend on other people. So you chose to take action yourself. That led to you leading small and then larger movements over time and then in empowering others to lead their own movements. I love it. What a, what a great life well lived. And I love that you have a book that is focused on that with the, the, let's see, the name of the book is Climate Action Challenge, right? So it's really about this international challenge that you're putting out there as well that people can get involved in and do something where they are. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And really, I mean, the book, the book is showing you, okay, here's how you can make a difference in 90 days. And here's the step-by-step plan of how you do it. Here's all these stories of people who have done it. Here's the key principles that most environmental organizations overlook. Um, and yes, you can do it in 90 days. Start a team. And awesome. whether you want to do a racial justice, I've got a guy that's working on a, a racial justice initiative in his, in his faith community where they're getting these dialogues going. And his ideas, if we have relationships, this goes back to your, your podcast guest, Justin Jones. Justin Jones-Fosu, yeah. Yeah, Fosu. Um, saying like, who are you eating lunch with? Right. <laughs> who are you going golfing with? Such a good message. And so that's what this guy has said is, you know, we're not going to be able to solve this until we're in regular conversation. Right. And so he's got this whole thing and he's using, it's so funny. It's like, okay, Joan, I'm working on my action plan. I've done my <laughs> personal vision statement. I'm, I'm writing my hero's journey. I'm doing, you know, these next steps. And it's like, it's so cool. So yeah, you had mentioned this applies. It could apply to the Black Lives Matter movement to anything where you think couldn't we be doing something better here right and the answer is yes start a team <laughs> and your book is is free through the end of august yeah it is wow it is. fantastic yeah we'll, we'll definitely so, put the links in the show notes there um yeah. so if from from what you have you know certainly you're, you're talking about the the international movement that you're talking about Tell us a little bit more about how you're working with that and how people can get engaged with that. What? Yes, it is so exciting. I mean, <laughs> it's just like so crazy because I just put this call out to, for mentors, mentors, ambassadors, and, and we've got, um, I've got a chemical engineer from Mexico. She worked, she's been working on an algae to power thing. Wow. And she's like, I'll be a mentor. Another young woman that is here in the U.S. who spent the last two years going around and, and interning at different permaculture farms, organic gardens in Taiwan, Nicaragua, Guatemala, all across the U.S. She's like, I love soil health. People need to know about soil health and composting and how to, uh, you know, this regenerative agriculture. Um, We've got um, Halima is a school teacher in Nigeria. She started an NGO, a nonprofit. All the officers are kids. They're, they're her students. <laughs> That's they, great. They planted 500 trees during COVID. How wow. do you do that? She, she thought of this idea. She'd written a grant, got these 500 seedlings. So she called her students individually and said, um, are you lonely? Do you need a friend? You can come get a tree. And you can name, <laughs> name the tree and plant it. And wow. also, if your neighbors are lonely, why don't you, you can give them a tree too. Wow. How cool is that? Well, so what's the website that they can go to? It's climateactionchallenge.net. Okay. So awesome. 
so we've got these hundred volunteers that are assembling to help people through mm -hmm. the challenge. And, and so then challengers, everything's free in this. So challengers, you go to the website, there's a webinar you do with me where you get more of the details of how, how does it work to be in the challenge portal and be able to communicate with these mentors. Um, they're going to get weekly, you know, using that weekly coaching idea, they'll get a weekly mm -hmm. email that says, hey, what did you do last week? What's your goal for next week? So that they can kind of do that. They can talk about it in the portal. Um, and then uh, the challenge period is September 1st to November 30th. So the okay. registration is through August. We have a kickoff event August 26th and 27th where all the different mentors are going to be creating videos uh, to tell people, okay, if you want to do, like one person is going to help them do app development. If you want hmm. to create an app, here's what you could do realistically in 90 days. You want to do a zero waste initiative? Here's an idea of what you could do in 90 mm. days. So the experts are going to be giving them some orientation and some advice of here's what you could do. You get a team together, you, you know, do this. You, you could, we've got another guy that's doing voter registration drives. He's working four different university campuses and they're all challenging each other with mm. how many voters they can register. So right. anything that you want to do. And so then uh, September no to November is our challenge period. And then we're featuring the results in December. So wow. yeah, but it's climateactionchallenge.net. You can get the book for free there um, from my website. It's also on Amazon. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pretty excited about it. It's, it's, just, it's just insanely amazing. And we have our, our meetings with our mentors and we've got like, I'm from Togo and, and I'm a marine biologist in Switzerland. And it's like, what? <laughs> wow. Yeah, very beautiful. Wow, Joan, this is, this is amazing. And my biggest takeaway is even more than ever, the power of team mm. and the reason of team. Not yeah. just the power of it, but the reason of team. <laughs> um, so much. And, and my hope is that this is going sh to shift some people so they can really create change. I think, I think actually a lot of people want to create change. But they're, they're stuck, and it, I'm not giving them an out. I can give myself an out. It's not that, but just say there's, there's things that have gotten in the way of the change I want to create, and you gave me some things today I can do different to get past that. So I love that. Um, thanks for sharing about the challenge. Uh, I'm excited to learn more about that. And as you know from our communication, we always ask a couple questions of our guests at the end, and one of the questions for you, Joan, is, Who's that leadership role model for you? And, and what was the big learning you got from that role model? Great question. And Dolores Huerta is, my, is one of my role models. So she and Cesar Chavez did the whole United Farm Workers movement. And it was from studying studying these big movements that I started understanding where the environmental movement has been failing and where these other movements have, have succeeded. And, you know, she has all these great quotes, like every person and every moment is an organi organizing opportunity. <laughs> and, and, you know, just that, that thing. And so when you, when you get the idea of a team and you see people go from an individual to a team to like a collective of teams that say, hey, we're doing this and can demand from their, their government or whoever, their school district, whoever, their faith community, their business, hey, we want to operate this way. That, that organizing, so shifting from projects, because I think a lot of us, like my engineering background was all projects community organizing this is what how mm. you make these big changes happen is community organizing you're seeing this with the whole racial justice uprising mm. it's community organizing it's not project oh, i um, love that yeah uh, thank you for that and that that was some new uh new awareness for me and the second question for you joan is you know we all have a lot of thoughts in our head and 
we've learned things over the years, but what's the one piece of wisdom you want to leave our listeners with around this topic of environmental change? I would, um, I would leave with the ideas. It's written about very clearly in the book Biomimicry is this idea of that we need to take this role of apprenticeships to our biological elders. And those biological elders are the trees and the, the animals and the different, the, this whole interconnected web of life and also the indigenous cultures who have been studying this and who have been in relationship with this and passing down their, their wisdom. Um, you, you saw during the Dakota Access Pipeline that the water protectors were standing there saying, this is harmful to our water. And they got met by water cannons and, and rubber bullets. And, and just recently, there was a ruling that said, yeah, they're right. Stop that pipeline. It's, it, you haven't proven that it's safe for our water. And so if we could start with saying, oh, these guys are probably right. Start with that instead of just starting with, oh, the polluters are probably right. Mm -hmm. The corporate power, the government power is probably right. It's like, no. So if we could reorient ourselves to say, you know, what, how does nature do this? And, and mm -hmm. how has this web of life evolved? That's probably right. And us as humans, we're, yeah. we're probably kind of missing it. Um, and so what I, hear you, what I think I hear you saying is progress is not the problem. It's the way that we define progress or the way that we pursue it. And rather than pursuing, you know, whatever it costs to put this thing in so that we can have a slightly better quality of life, let's consider how nature would do it and the impacts that this thing is going to cause. So the decisions we're making always consider the impact. Yeah. And moving, moving to more of a, a stewardship role. Yeah. So that's what the, all the indigenous cultures are. We're stewards of these amazing gifts. Mm. We're not the, it's not our dominion to, you know, I want to say rape and pillage, but extract and, you know, just use up. It's we're the stewards of this. And so how gotcha. do we, how do we as a species act in a way that we're not harming the, the outcomes for other species mm. or for our, for others in our humankind. Mm. So good. Well, thank you so much for being here, Joan. We appreciate it. How can people contact you? So there's a couple of ways to find out about the challenge. Just go to climateactionchallenge.net. Mm -hmm. That's the best place. Go for the book. Go to find out about the challenge. You can also contact me over at greenteamacademy.com. So it's green, T-E-A-M, academy.com. Got a bunch of other stuff going on there. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Joan. And we'll look forward to talking with you further. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. 
This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.